How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 309 of X-Lapse. This is our, uh, uh, what month are we in? I don't know what month we're in. I guess we can just call this uh, our season finale. Uh, considering that, you know, all the X-Books are doing season finales, this is uh, this is ours. The Well, the physical season finale, anyway. Of course, we do have X-Men Unlimited to uh, discuss, but uh, as far as my latest DCBS shipment, this is the final book we'll be covering. Um, I do have another book that we're supposed to be covering, but I just don't know where it's at. Uh, the one that we're supposed to be covering is the uh, Marvel Voices uh, Comunidades uh, issue, which is somewhere at the house. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, something about me. At my very best, I, uh, I am very disorganized as it comes to uh, my collection. And uh, it's not unusual to see just piles of comics on every flat surface in my house. A dining room table, kitchen table, kitchen counter, coffee table, nightstand, anywhere that's flat. There were, it's almost guaranteed that there'll be like a foot and a half of, uh, of comics just sitting on it. And um, of late, I've gotten even worse. Uh, I mean, usually I can deal with it. You know, like, I'll see these piles, and I'll be like, yeah, I'll, I'll get to those when I get to those. And it's not, like, something that gets under my skin. But of late, like, I see them, and I kind of get disgusted. So it's like, oh, i got to deal with that. So, um, yeah, the Comunidades issue is in one of those piles. <laughs> I don't know which one. I don't know which room of the house it's in. It's, uh, it's somewhere. So we will get to it, I promise. Just, uh, it probably won't be part of uh, this clump of, uh, of episodes. Anyway, the break we'll be taking after this shouldn't be too long because allegedly DCBS is shipping the uh, the next shipment. Um, I did get a message from them saying that there was uh, inclement weather that uh, stopped their shipments for a minute, but um, hopefully that's passed, and hopefully we'll be able to get back into uh, you know regular old X lapsed before long. But Let's get to today's issue. Today's issue is a Phoenix song, Echo Number 3. Had a February 2022 cover day, written by Rebecca Roanhorse. Art, Luca Moresca and Kyle Charles. Colors, Carlos Lopez and Brian Valenza. Letters, VCs Ariana Mar. Edits, Okoye Brunstad Brevort Sabolski. Cover price, four bucks. This one went on sale December 22nd of 2021. Okie dokie, we open with a single-page spread of ketchup and cred. I was going to say roll call, but no, no, we don't have a roll call here. Uh, now, to catch us up, Echo is the Phoenix. The adversary wants the Phoenix Force, and so he's trying to wipe out Maya's entire lineage by going back in time and killing her ancestors. Now, Maya and a fellow named River are also going back in time in an attempt to stop him. 
So our story opens with, uh, hey, would you look at that? Uh, we got Forge. And Forge has just shown up at the res. And he's here to track down Maya, naturally. And he stops to ask some rando for advice on how to do so. Conveniently enough, this rando refers to Forge as another superhero, which tells us that he's probably the right fella to ask. So here, Forge learns that Maya, the unmissable black and gold clad girl, is, or at least was, here. You see, she was talking to a dude named River, which I'm sure means a whole heck of a lot to Forge, as in, it probably doesn't, so our chuckle-headed pal asks for a little bit more information. Now, he's given some classic backwoods directions to River's pad here, you know, like the sort of thing you'd see on TV, it's like, when you see the big rock, turn right, and when you hear the beehive, turn left, and when you smell the bakery, keep going straight, you know, that kind of thing. Thankfully, it's more than enough. <laughs> you know, the, our, our man is able to properly track our titular hero to uh, River's home. Now, once inside, Forge finds the place empty and a wreck, but uh, recognizes the unique residual energy signature that remains. And, of course, it's the signature of the adversary, who he refers to as, quote, his oldest and most powerful enemy. Um, okay, let's, let's get this out here. The dialogue in this issue... Eh, is amateurish the right word, maybe? I, it's, I'll try not to dwell on it too much, but the, it, there's just not a whole lot of nuance to, um, to the dialogue, and uh, we'll, we'll try to we'll get it, we'll, we'll, we'll navigate it. So naturally, Forge is worried, and he wonders what, uh, just what Echo's gotten herself tangled up in. Honest question. Have, have these two ever met before this event? I honestly don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we wrap up the scene with Forge noticing a photo that had been pinned to a corkboard of uh, Maya's Choctaw relatives, with a sticky note suggesting that the pic is from the 1850s. Now this takes us to the scene that we left off with last issue. We're in Choctaw territory in the 1850s, believe it or not. Maya and River are surrounded by gun-toting Choctaw, and I, I think I mistakenly said they were surrounded by white people last issue. And to be honest, I was quite surprised to see that that wasn't the case here. I just assumed we were going one way, and I was fully bracing to get a lecture here, but no, we're not. Anyway, Maya melts one of their pistols and is about to go all Phoenixy before River stops her. Well, well, kinda. It's more that he redirects her blast. Now you see, River reminds her, and I guess us as well, that since we're time-traveling via lineage, one of these people is very likely Maya's ancestor. And so it would probably be in her best interest to, you know, not kill any of them. Maya looks around and appears to recognize one of them, and uh, uh, she asks a perfect stranger <laughs> whether or not she's her great-great-grandmother. I mean, really, it's like, like I said, the dialogue uh, leaves a little bit to be desired, but she just you know, stops fighting and says, are you my great-great-grandmother? Okay, uh, anyway, great-great-nana draws her gun, and we immediately shift to later that night where everyone's gathered around a campfire. Did we, did we lose a page? Okay, by now, Maya thinks that this is all a mistake, since these folks are Choctaw, and she, as far as she knows, is not. So yeah, maybe we're, we're like almost definitely missing some content here. In any event, River proves that he knows more about Maya's ancestry than she does by revealing that... Well, in fact, there is some Choctaw in her family tree. You see, Maya only really knows about the lineage from her father's side, which is Cheyenne. Her mother's side is something of a mystery, which 
I mean, if that's the case, shouldn't she not be so bold and brazen about saying what she is and what she isn't? Especially considering that two panels ago, she called this woman her great-great-grandmother. I don't know. Okay. River and Maya then seem to forget that there's a half-dozen Choctaw around them and have their own expository conversation for a bit. They jog their memories about Maya's mom, how she was murdered by the adversary before her time. River vows that they will defeat the Big Bad, at which point Maya flips out, suggesting that they're just wasting their time here and they need to get on with the killing. They need to hunt down the adversary and kill him. At this point, great-great-nana is like, hey, you know, uh, hello, we're all still here, and uh, I've got a badge on my chest, so I'm kind of the sheriff around these parts, so if you're about to do some killing, then I'm about to do some jailing. And uh, Maya doesn't understand any of this, as uh, What's-Her-Face's accent is too thick for her to properly read her lips. It doesn't much matter, though, because one panel later, the adversary shows up. And uh, Maya sees this and says, Time to teach this jerk to leave my family alone. Which, uh, yeah, okay, it reads well, but if you actually say it out loud like I just did, sounds really, really dumb. Doesn't sound natural in the slightest. Well, it's all for naught anyway, because even such tough talk such as this proves to not be enough, because over the course of a single panel, Maya's entire Choctaw family is wiped out. And Maya's reaction to this is, um, well, it's kind of wooden. She says, my, my family. Okay. From here, we get a montage of the adversary chasing Maya and River through time, wiping out swaths of her lineage along the way. Oddly... Okay, uh, maybe maybe uh, this could just be written weird, or I'm an idiot. Either way. Um, now, the time gimmick. You might expect that they would only be going backwards in time, right? I mean, that's kind of the gist we got last issue when Maya's mom was dead. They couldn't go back to the future because Maya's not part of the future. They had to keep going into the past, right? Well... If Maya's ancestors from the 1850s are gone, it might stand to reason that uh, there won't be any ancestors to wipe out in the time between 1850s and current day, right? Well, you'd think that, or at least I would think that, but I am an idiot. But we actually go backwards and forwards in time during this montage. It makes no sense. Like, the ancestors in the 1850s are dead, but then we're in the 1960s with more ancestors? Does that work? Oh well, finally, our heroes wind up in the distant past, where River is immediately shot in the chest with a bolt. Now, as River lay bleeding out, he goes to tell Maya something, to which she gives yet another very, very wooden response. She says, no, you are not giving me your last words. Oi. Uh, Maya then looks around and sees another phoenix. Now, she can't understand this, uh, this phoenix woman, as she speaks an ancient language which an editorial footnote tells us has been lost to time. Now, here's the gimmick, okay, and this is going to get kind of wonky. This bolt that hit River, okay, so they, and they exit the portal, River is immediately shot. Well, this bolt was meant for the phoenix woman, so in effect, Maya and River's time hopping saved her life. Now, okay, if we're going to assume that this phoenix is one of Maya's ancestors, which admittedly at this point is just an assumption, though River's time walking is predicated on following lineage, and also later on um, Maya will refer to her as Gran, uh, so it stands to reason, right? So anyway, anyway, if this bolt was meant for the phoenix woman, 
and had River and Maya not been time-jumping, and this dude who fired the bolt is not the adversary, which he's not, then in the normal timeline, where River and Maya don't time-hop, does this Phoenix woman die? And if so, wouldn't that, in effect, wipe out Maya's family tree before it even takes root? Am I thinking too hard? Not enough? I don't know, but uh, the Phoenix woman does say that they saved her life. So it wasn't as though she would be able to just, you know, stop the bolt from hitting her or disintegrate the bolt or move out of the way. She literally says, you saved my life. Oh, well, moving on. Maya asks the Phoenix woman if she can save River's life. And she does this via sign language, as she deduces it's the only way they'll be able to sort of kind of communicate. And, well, it turns out it is the only way they can sort of kind of communicate, at least for now. Also, it turns out that she can, in fact, save River's life. And so they head to her village. And it's Cahokia, we're in the year 1050 CE or AD, depending on how you mark time. Cahokia, worth noting, is in southwestern Illinois, said to have been settled in the 6th century, and the site would be abandoned around 1350 due to changes in climate, pollution, deforestation, and flooding. Also, uh, political and economic unrest, but I really can't speak to this since it is pre-Columbus. I don't know the ins and outs, and there is a lot of history to this. I just don't have the uh, time to dedicate to it. Anyway, Maya and the Phoenix take a tour of the settlement. We learn that the fellow who nearly killed River was once one of the Phoenix woman's closest advisors, but, well, there's been a little bit of unrest of late. Phoenix Woman introduces herself as Ohoyo Luak, to which Maya says, Have I got a funny story for you, Grams? Which, hmm, okay. Anyway, the ladies retire to a house for a drink that's not quite coffee and a chat. Maya reveals here that she too is the Phoenix, which prompts a belly laugh from Luak because Echo appears to be so weak. Then, without missing a beat, Maya replies with, <clears throat> I could burn your precious city to the ground. Uh, um, um, are, you, are you kidding me? Uh, hmm? uh, the dialogue, uh, no bueno. Um, I mean, let's play this out. Sure, Echo, you were offended, you were insulted, so burn the precious city and save the adversary the inconvenience. Now, honest question time, I don't know much about Maya Lopez from her time. I, you know, I read the Daredevil story, I read some of the New Avengers stuff, after that, I kind of lost track of her. Is part of her story that she's on, like, antipsychotics or something? And has she missed a dose of those antipsychotics? Because she sounds unhinged. Anyway, Luak talks a bit more about the powers of the Phoenix, including the power to resurrect the dead. Which, I mean, how little do you need to know about the legend of the Phoenix where you wouldn't know about the whole rising from the ashes, death and rebirth gimmick? Well, however little that might be... Well, that's just about as much as Maya knows, because she is shocked to learn this. And even Luak is surprised by Maya's ignorance of this fact. From here, Echo talks about how she's been focusing so much on keeping the Phoenix Force at bay, because anytime she unleashes it, something bad happens. Well, let's dissect that. Five seconds ago, she threatened to burn down an entire city full of her ancestors, so maybe it's not the Phoenix Force that's the problem, eh? Anyway, from here, the two start speaking psychically so that the exposition drop could be a little bit less awkward. Maya fills Luak in on everything that's gone down with the adversary and her lineage, and Luak tries to comfort Maya by telling her that there are places only open to those who wield the power of the Phoenix, 
where she could let loose her powers and not hurt anybody. Well, except for whoever she's targeting those powers at, in this case, the adversary. And so we wrap up the issue with Maya confronting the adversary, and, uh, well, our parting shot is one last line of corny dialogue. Uh, Maya explodes into flame and shouts, Let's dance. Oof. Anyway, next time out, we will be discussing uh, whatever issue of X-Men Unlimited is next. I think it's... Is it number 17? It might be number 17, and then we will also do the Life of Wolverine number 2. But that's next time. Let's talk about this time. And, uh, well, I had a lot of fun with this issue in in more ways than one. Um, I can't say that I didn't enjoy razzing it a little bit, because I did. It was a little bit of fun. I don't know if it was fun to listen to, but it was fun to, uh, it was fun to write out and, uh, and talk about. But um, I also thought that this wasn't a bad story. Um, a little bit wonky, sure. Um, you know, I, a lot of people have like their own rules for time travel. And I'm really, I, I really don't have too many rules about time travel personally. I, I do think that if you do lay out rules in your story, then you should stick to those rules. So if you're only able to go backwards in time because, you know, you are being, your entire lineage is being rubbed out with each step you take backwards, then maybe you should stick with that. I mean, if you establish the rule, then you should abide by it. So that montage scene was very, very bizarre. And I mean, that could be editorial oversight, or again, I could just be an idiot. And that is certainly a possibility, but it feels like with every step, they should have gone further and further back in time. Though I suppose it could be argued that maybe we were following Rivers' uh, you know, lineage at that point. Maybe they were trying to throw the adversary off the scent. If that is the case, it probably could have and should have been better spelled out. But um, whatever, whatever. We'll, we'll leave that as it is. Um, the dialogue I mentioned is a bit wooden. Which, it's okay. You know, it is okay. Um, because it kind of... Um, is exactly what I asked for when we were doing the Marvel Voices specials here, because if you've listened to the Marvel Voices episodes, one of the main takeaways that I have from those is that it doesn't give these new creators enough time to really breathe. You know, it's hard to tell a story when you're only given, like, one page or two pages of, a, of, a, of an anthology. And I mean, there are different schools of thought on those voices anthologies. We could say that Marvel's heart's in the right place. We could say that Marvel is trying to, I don't know, get a little bit of mainstream attention. doesn't really matter where you stand on that issue. Where I stand is that I, I want as many voices as possible in the comics industry. I see the industry as something that's shrinking <laughs> by the day. And we will talk about sales charts in just a moment, so you'll see just how wibbly-wobbly and uncertain things can be, but uh, I want as many voices as possible here, and if that means that we have a semi-amateurish feeling miniseries, I'm okay with that, because, you know, there's that old saying in uh, in writing where, like, you have 2,000 bad pages in you that you have to get through before you get to, get to the good stuff, before you hit your stride, and you're not going to get those pages out of the way by doing one or two page anthology stories. You need to get, you know, you need, the rubber needs to hit the road, right? You need to actually tell a long-form story in order to, you know, hone your craft and get a, get a feel for how you do dialogue and learn about characters and actually be able to expand upon those characters. So, 
a story such as this is kind of the perfect way to to do that, you know? I, I don't want to see a brand new writer take over a flagship book, but, you know, a book that ties into a flagship, I mean, this is spinning out of an Avengers story. It has ties, well, nebulous ties with the X-Men, so it's semi I, I, I don't even know if we can say it's semi-high profile But it, it has a profile, we'll say And I feel like this is a good place To kinda spread your wings as a less seasoned writer And, uh, you know, actually give it a go Is this perfect? Well, absolutely not You know, is it awful? Absolutely not It's a perfectly fine miniseries And um, despite, you know, a few hiccups I think this is a, uh, a story worth telling And, uh for the most part, I'm having a good time with it. I'm not sure I could say that it's worth, you know, your your 20 bucks at the end of the day, but uh, maybe give the first issue a shot when it hits unlimited and decide uh, decide from there. Or if uh, anything I've told you has persuaded or dissuaded you, um, well, I, I guess I will uh, shoulder whatever responsibility uh, that is. But I think that's about all I have to say about this issue. Um, The art is, um, well, it's kind of weird. We've got two artists here and two colorists. But, um, and it is clear when we go from one artist to the other, but it's not such a, at least, you know, from my, uh, you know, uneducated artist critiquing mind, um, it wasn't so jarring that it pulled me out. You know, it didn't really, it wasn't such a styles clash that it, uh, that it took me out of the story or took anything away from the story. So the art, there it is two different tones, but it just, uh, it kind of works for me. But with that, I think I'm finally done with this issue here. I think uh, this is, uh, what is it? This is either a four or five part miniseries. I'm thinking it's probably five parts. So we are we're just past the halfway point. Not sure how we'll get two entire issues of Maya fighting the adversary unless it's gonna, unless we go like full Dragon Ball Z. I don't know. I guess we'll see when we get there. But uh, that's all I gotta say. I, I promise. I'll stop now. Let's hop into the mailbag and uh, we'll meet up with our buddy Evan who's talking about Inferno. Number two, he says, I need to time travel again and get caught up with the Inferno Sode, since I was reading this series more or less in real time. Like with issue one, this episode refreshed my memory, and you picked up on some details that I missed. Now, my theory on Emma and the Maura McTaggart Hospital reveal, which is something that I had questions about, because uh, this is the issue where Maura was let in on the big secret, and it made me question whether or not, you know, how, how come... We had the Maura McTaggart Hospital, and why was Emma so keen on Charles and Eric seeing that and seeing their uh, seeing how they reacted to it, right? Well, Evan says, discounting any lack of communication behind the scenes in story, perhaps we might argue that Emma used the name of a human ally in order to tweak Charles and Eric, since Krakoa had been displaying increasing supremacist tendencies. Whatever else Emma is, she's more of a pragmatist than Professor X and Magneto, so perhaps she recognizes the need to still recognize and work with humanity rather than talking down to them or crushing them under a Jumbo Carnation-designed boot heel. Maybe she even thinks it's the right thing to do. So naming a hospital for a human ally, one with whom Charles has a personal connection, may have been meant to mess with them from their standpoint, and she just hit closer to home than she realized. Not saying this was the original intent, but it kind of works to make that scene make sense. I mean, that's as good a uh, that's a as good an explanation as any. That um, Emma was just seeing that uh, you know the tone was changing a little bit, and so decided to do something that might uh, ground uh, Charles and Eric a little bit. Might just bring them back to uh, bring them back out of orbit. Um, if I were to guess. I'm pretty sure that it was an editorial oversight. They probably had plans for it. 
Because, I mean, it's just so... It, it's, like, two-pointed. And, I mean, the fact that Moro was wearing that blossom hat <laughs> in the statue... I think we make the connection to, to you know, Hoxpox with that look. And hey, that might have very well been the point. Maybe it was misdirection for not only the characters in the book, but for those of us reading it as well. But I, I feel like I feel like there was more to that that we just uh, that we just didn't get for, you know, whatever reason. You know, Hickman leaving, Inferno getting rushed, who who knows, who knows? Uh, Evan continues. Colossus's induction into the Quiet Council is more interesting given the concurrent X-Force storyline, but it also suffers from the same problems as his intermittent spotlight in that title. His reveal elicited more of an okay than a gasp from me because he just hasn't even been much of a factor in the Krakoan era. Even a character we hadn't seen at all since Hoxpox would have been more striking than Peter, who we've seen just enough to know that he's on the island and wonder if he's going to be a bigger presence in X-Force. I know he's got history with so many on the council, but I don't know. How he's been used lately makes me think he's the opposite of a power player. It's as if they said, hey, you know who we should put on the council? Our old pal who never calls anymore. And it's true. It's true. The uh, the Peter inclusion, I think, was supposed to prompt a, a bigger reaction than it did. And just like Evan said here, it was more like a, oh, all right, <laughs> you know, that works, I guess. And I mean, add to the fact that this was the big, you know, page, last page reveal of Inferno number two. And I'm pretty sure Peter doesn't even appear in Inferno number three. So, um, hey, we got big plans for this. Just, uh, yeah, maybe later. You know, it's just uh, another case of uh, Marvel striking when the iron's hot. You know, I didn't mention this uh, during the last episode, but we have Thunderbird coming back, right? Thunderbird came back in the last issue of Trial of Magneto. And, you know, just like Marvel does, striking when they're hot, we're going to get the giant-sized Thunderbird, like, five months later? By the by that time, I mean, that's almost like a, a comics generation, right? People come in and go just so quickly these days. I don't know. I figure, you know, you do that reveal and you, you get that book out there just as quick as possible. I, I guess if they would have solicited it, it would have ruined the reveal. But, I mean, then again, is, is anything not spoiled these days? Evan wraps up with, but I was enjoying and did enjoy Inferno, even an issue that's built around who gets to be in the group that sits at the table and talks. And the revelations of issue three make that transcript info page a lot more important than previous dialogue dumps. Well, Evan, I'm so glad that you're enjoying Inferno. I, too, am enjoying it very much. Of course, no matter what the internet tells us, it's not perfect. <laughs> it's not an 11 out of 10. It, it's a good story. It's a really good story. It's paying off a lot of things. It's answering some of our long-lingering questions. It's just what we need right now. It's not perfect, but it's it's good enough, I guess. Um, and uh, we will be wrapping up Inferno. Um, I think Inferno is either the second or third book of the next, you know, physical season of the show. So, um, before long, we will be through Inferno, and then maybe, just maybe, we can, you know, you know, kind of, kind of kick this line in the butt and get moving. So, um, anyway, thank you again so much for, uh, writing in on that one, Evan. I always enjoy hearing your thoughts. But, uh, that's gonna do it for the mailbag, uh, and since this is the, uh, physical season finale, how about we do our, uh, Season finale ritual here. Let's go through the sales charts here at Comicron. And these are the sales charts for October 2021. And I think, I think these are the first Penguin Random House numbers. So we're not going to get quite as exact the number. I think we're rounding to the nearest hundred. 
at this point. Either that or Penguin Random House only sends shipments of, you know, even hundreds. It's possible, I guess. I don't know anything about the internal workings, but uh, let's get into it. This is, of course, October 2021, and the top five are... uh, Number one is House of Slaughter, number one, from Boom. I haven't the foggiest idea what that is. And uh, looking at the cover, I'm not terribly interested. I I mean, uh, mileage varies, right? Number two, Gunslinger Spawn, number one, from Image. Which, being as though I'm uh, one of the five people still buying regular Spawn, uh, I didn't buy Gunslinger Spawn. I, I'm, I don't have any interest in the Spawn universe thing that they're doing now. None at all. I could barely... I mean, I've been buying regular Spawn. I haven't read it in years. Uh, number three, Amazing Spider-Man number 75, which we discussed at length in WebLaps episode one, which is available in the archives if you're interested. This is, of course, the Ben Riley Beyond stuff. Uh, the first uh, few issues are written by Zeb Wells. It's really, really good stuff. Uh, number four, um, hmm, House of Slaughter number one, foil cover. Really? <laughs> it has a different. It's a different line item because it has a damn foil cover. Okay. Um, sure, sure. Uh, number five is Batman number one fourteen from DC. Well, let's get into books that uh, are uh, you know pertinent to this program here. The X books, the top selling X book, the top shipping, I should say, X book of October was Inferno number two. Now this shipped seventy thousand five hundred units, and it drops down nine positions from you know number three last month, and shipped sixty five thousand one hundred ninety seven fewer units. So that's uh, just shy of a fifty percent attrition. Which is one of those things we've come to expect from a one issue, an issue one to an issue two drop. It's certainly not ideal, but um, it could be worse. And again, these numbers might be a little wonky because we are going from Diamond to Penguin. I don't know what they consider what. So the numbers are going to be strange. This is going to be a very, very strange uh, one month to the next sort of a thing here. Uh, next, line item 16 is uh, X-Men number 4, which shipped 69,800 units. It went up three slots from position 19, but shipped 3,075 fewer units. Next up, the 24th highest selling book was X-Men Trial of Magneto number 3. And this one shipped 59,400 units. It went up 10 slots from position 34 and shipped 811 more units. So, um, pretty steady in the units, These days, you really can't ask for much more than that, right? Uh, Book 29 is Wolverine number 17, which shipped 55,800 units. This one went up 12 slots from position 41 and shipped 185 more units. So, um, pretty steady. Book 53 is Marauders 25, which shipped 37,200 units. It jumped up 45 slots from position 98, shipping 7,414 more units. Next up, position 54, X-Force number 24, shipped 37,200 units. It dropped down 28 slots from position 26, and I don't remember what happened in X-Force number 23. Was it a big deal? Because 24 shipped 28,962 fewer units. That's a pretty sizable drop. I don't remember. Is 23 was not part of the gala, right? Uh, the gala was way over at that point. I really don't remember. Anyway, position 59 is Phoenix Song Echo number 1, which shipped 35,700 units. Pretty respectable for, uh, for you know, this tier of miniseries. 
Book 69 is Hellions number 16, which shipped 32,500 units. It went up 15 slots from position 84, but shipped 27 fewer units. So it's pretty steady. 27. Uh, Book 73 is Excalibur number 24, which shipped 31,900 units, dropping 30 slots from position 43 and shipped 23,502 fewer units. Next up, New Mutants number 22, it's position 84, and it shipped 29,300 units. It jumped up 16 slots from position 100 and shipped 196 more units. Finally, in position 86 is Sword number 9, which shipped 29,100 units. It went up 30 slots from position 116 and shipped 2,855 more units. So overall, the X-Books are... um, Well, the sales are mediocre, but um, the line looks a bit more healthy than it did when we had books like Children of the Atom and uh, X-Corp dragging the average down. Hopefully the destiny of X-Books are able to, uh, you know, maintain um, a bit of a reader interest and maybe keep the sales over, you know, 30,000 for a few months anyway. I, with books like Knights of X, I I don't really see that happening, but... um, Hey, we will uh, we will find out when we find out, I guess. But uh, those are the sales charts for uh, October 2021, and I think that's where we will tie a bow on this episode here. Before we hop into contact information, I want to uh, thank and shout out the patrons at Patreon.com/xlapsed for all of their support. Uh, Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, and Andrew in Belfast. Thank you all so much for all of your support and believing in uh, me and my silly little project. Um, Now, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, I would encourage you to do so. You could find me several different ways. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics on Instagram at 90sxmen. You could shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfinitearths.com. You can join us on Facebook at 90sxmen. Of course, the audio archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com or anywhere you find noise on the internet. Just search up the show titles and it should come up. I, I tested it not too long ago and... Uh, And the test was a success, so hopefully you have the same success if you're searching me out. But then again, if you're listening to this, you've already found it. So um, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Uh, I I guess if you did find it, uh, tell a friend. Tell a friend or two. (laughs) Help them find it, too. But anyway, that'll do it for today. I would like to thank you all so much for allowing me to keep you company for a little while today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.